What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to a new episode of the Passive Income Attorney Podcast. Of course, your favorite place for learning about the world of alternative passive investing so that you can have more freedom, flexibility, and fun. Now, if you're ready to kick that billable out of the curb, start by going to attorneybydesign.com and download the Freedom Blueprint, which will also get you access to partner with us on one of our next passive real estate deals, which we'd love to have you on board for uh, to help you on your journey to financial freedom. All right, today, let's talk about diversification in, in, a, in a particular way, though. Let's talk about the different ways that you can make money. There are so many different ways. Unfortunately, for most of us, we, we have it in our heads that there's only one way. Uh, for my attorneys out there, well, we just do our attorney thing and that's how we get paid. We have one stream of income, one active stream. Maybe we save for retirement through a 401k or we buy some stocks and bonds or play around on uh, Robinhood or something like that. But we don't think about all the other ways that we can make money. If you've listened to my show before, I've had so many attorneys on here that have leveraged their knowledge, their background, their experience, their education as an attorney uh, to catapult them in other aspects of life, in other avenues of business so that they can create multiple streams of income, whether that's through starting a side business, a side hustle, which eventually might become their full-time hustle, or investing in real estate, both passively and or actively. There are so many different ways to make money, but there's so, there's more ways than just the things that we've talked about so far. There are so many different ways and there's no magic pill, right? Now we talk about syndications a lot on, on this show, but it's not a magic pill. I'm not preaching to you and telling you if you don't invest in a syndication or invest in syndications, then you're not going to become wealthy or that investing in real estate is the only way to become wealthy. It's not. It's a tried and proven way to become wealthy. And it's my favorite way and a lot of my guests favorite way, but it's not the only way. And our guest today, MC Lobster, who is no stranger to this show. He's been on here before. He's actually our first repeat guest. Um, but I love chatting with him. He's such a great guy. So knowledgeable. Um, he is a true expert at this idea of diversification across so many different types of income that you can create for yourself. And he's on here on the show today, especially to talk about his new book, The 21 Best Cash Flow Niches, um, where we'll jump into what some of those are. Some of these things you've probably never even heard about. We'll talk about life insurance contracts. We'll talk about agriculture, energy, of course, real estate, and all of those things. But uh, inside, you, you'll get some new ideas about things that you never even thought you could invest in. MC Lobster is a cash flow investor and a serial entrepreneur. He's the creator and host of the top-rated business and investing podcast, The Cash Flow Ninja, which has been downloaded over 3 million times in over 180 countries. He's also the president and CEO of Producers Wealth, a virtual wealth creation firm that assists investors and business owners to set up and implement infinite banking. All right, without further ado, the one, the only MC Lobster. Let's go. This is the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra-wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want. Attorney Seth Bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money so you can make money while you sleep. 
Start living the good life on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Seth Bradley. MC Lobster, what's going on, brother? Welcome to the show. Great to be back. Great to connect. Looking forward to our conversation. Absolutely, man. You are my first repeat guest, so you have that honor. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely honored. (laughs) Awesome, man. Well, for our listeners that haven't heard you on the first episode, maybe just give a quick rundown of a little bit about your background and who you are and, you know, uh, you know, where, where you come from and all that kind of stuff, man. Yeah, originally from South Africa, came to the U.S. in 2001 and just blown away with the opportunity in this uh, in this country. Um, I mean, there's literally, I mean, no place with an upward mobility like the U.S. Uh, you can literally start here with absolutely nothing, which is what I did. Basically, a backpack, a suitcase, 500 bucks, sense of humor, sense of adventure. Um, and um, I'm an entrepreneur investor. I've uh, started several companies, failed at a lot of them, have had a lot of success in, 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 in some of them. Um, I've been an investor since 2001 in real estate. Um, and um, I, uh, I have a couple of companies, and people know me for the, the Cashflow Ninja, which is a podcast that I started six years ago, uh, which has turned into a full-blown financial education company. Uh, we have podcast tools, resources, programs, and now books. Um, and then also, um, you know, I have a company called Producers Wealth. We help folks all across the United States. Uh, in 49 states, set up infinite banking a cash flow management strategy utilizing an insurance product. And then I also have uh, a company where we do a lot of syndications in the resort and multifamily space called Producers Capital Partners. But I love cash flow. I love talking about cash flow, creating it, positioning it efficiently and managing it and then multiplying it. So everything cash flow gets me uh, gets me excited. <laughs> Is that all you got going on, man? <laughs> you know, throw... T- throw- Throw a, a family that's very active and love to do stuff in there. I've got two, a beautiful wife and two young kids, too. Uh, all, one, four and off, and three, boy and a girl. So you can just imagine uh, yeah. the energy there. So <laughs> that's yeah. a full-time job almost by itself, right? Right, right. Yeah, so many hours in a day, man. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. Um, I, I love what you said about upward mobility, man. And I think we take that for granted in the U.S. So how is that different in, in other countries for, for us? I don't even think about that sort of thing. Yeah. So I grew up in South Africa and then I was fortunate enough. I traveled to a number of African countries and then I also traveled to a number of European countries, Latin American countries and Asian countries. And I don't think people realize, like if you're born in the United States, you literally want a lottery ticket. I mean, it's, it, I don't know what, how else to say it. Um, when I got here, I looked at this and I'm like, wait a second. So there's not really like, you could, I mean, you just bring your game, you start where you're at and the sky's the limit where, you know, it's very tough in certain countries. Let's just use Africa as an example, you know, and South Africa, the, the lack of infrastructure, supportive infrastructure for somebody starting there uh, and maybe folks from other countries can relate, like in Brazil is probably the same, a lot of Latin American countries, they don't have the same infrastructure that's in the States. So let's just say you are, um, you're born on the lowest economic rung. That happens to folks, right? Um, if you're born in the United States, well, you, you still have access to stuff. You could go to a library, jump on a computer, learn skills, there's public schools. Um, 
you know, when you're born in a shanty town in, in South Africa or in a favela in, in, in Brazil, uh, it, it's, you know, it's, 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 it, you don't have the same access. So when you come and, and, and also when you come here, literally, I mean, you look at all the, the, the rags to, to riches stories. And funnily enough, a lot of it is immigrants. You see it, a lot of immigrants rise to the top because most of them, whether they're from Africa, the Middle East, you know, uh, Eastern European countries, uh, Latin America, that's kind of their, what they experience too. And I've had conversations with them too, where they're like, man, you could do anything you want to here. There's nothing holding you back. Um, and the sky is the limit. It's not even the limit. You could go to space if you want, like Elon. <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, no, it's an incredible place. It still is. Uh, we live in an incredible time and the U.S. is, a, is an incredible country um, where, you know, it, 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 it's all what you make of it um, and all how you approach it, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's kind of like, you know, the access to information, the access to technology, the access to, to education. I know that's kind of a, you know, we, we fight about that all the time, but we have access to those things up to a certain point for free, whereas other places do not have that access to information, technology, education, and that in itself gives you power. Knowledge is power. It's not just a saying. Yeah, think, think about the time that we live in, right? Who is it? Um, who was in Star Trek? Was it like Buck Rogers who, or Captain Kirk? Was Captain Kirk the guy? So, I mean, I still remember, and we had very little TV. I mean, we, I grew up in South Africa. We had like two TV channels, but one of them had like Star Trek episodes on. And I still remember like he would press a button and talk to someone on the tele, on like a, like a television screen. Um, and I always thought, man, that's, that's, it's so cool. They're not even in the same galaxy at that stage, but they're talking to one another uh, like they're in the same room. We have access to that. And for most part, it's free. Right. <laughs> so we, we have like access to Star Trek technology <laughs> in the time that we live in for basic, for, for most, for the most part, it's free. So you have a smartphone and you have some service or an internet connection. You're good to go. So um, yeah. And, and, and again, the technology, which, you know, it's the frenemy. It's your friend and it's the enemy. It's a, it's a, it's a frenemy. Um, but for the most part, if you approach it right and utilize it right, now a lot of the opportunities, when I came here in, in, in about 2001, it was just around the internet kind of boom. So most people didn't really know what was happening there yet. Uh, but now everybody's in it So and all over the world. So a lot of the opportunity that only existed in the US then too are now available in other areas for folks to start online businesses and that kind of stuff globally. Um, you know, to bring it back with Africa, I see on my last visit, and it's been a while ago, but uh, I just remember seeing folks walking around with smartphones and that's how they transact their bank. They do everything on their smartphones. They, they have SIM cards and they buy like airtime. And I'm like, man, with this, what you could do with a smartphone these days, it's quite incredible. So it starts, it's starting to open up in other places, but yeah, um, you know, it's quite, we, we live in remarkable times and sometimes I don't think we under, we appreciate it because we're so used to it. It's like, man, why is my, why is my internet taking so long to get on? I'm like, does anybody remember dial up? You know, it's right. like. <laughs> yeah AOL dial up man it's like yeah if we click on a link on our phone or click on a link on our computer and it takes more than like you know a snap we're just like oh what is going on this is ridiculous i can't get anything done it's like well what did you get done 
when you didn't have that. Yeah. 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 As like I said, before I came to the States, I remember we had dial up and I would had to download emails. So you would start a dial up and you would basically hit start for your emails to download and you would go and grab a cup of coffee and do whatever you have to do. And like 20, 30 minutes later, your emails would have been downloaded. That's you know, so now it's, it's like this and everything moves quicker, to. right? So you can, you can disrupt slow, archaic, uh, markets in any in any uh, asset class really really quickly with technology and oh boy are there some dinosaurs you know especially in the markets that we were uh, operating real estate being one of them um and i'm in, in insurance too i mean both very very uh big dinosaurs that's ready for <laughs> disruption yeah yeah so let, let's talk about some of those things that you invest in i know you're pretty famous for infinite banking and, and also in commercial real estate i mean what are some of the things that, that what, are, what are some of the best vehicles to invest in that, that you're seeing today? And, and how has that maybe changed recently? Um, I, and I asked that because there's a lot of people out there, you know, they'll listen to one podcast, right? And it'll just be like, you have to do this. If you don't do this one thing, if you don't take this one magic pill, you're never going to be able to retire, achieve financial freedom. But we all know that that's not true. Or hopefully we all know that. But what are, what are some of the investment vehicles that, that you love and why? Yeah, I, I love what you just said. It's the maximalist approach, right? It's because I made my money in single family real estate that that's the only way to do it or multifamily or so. And that's why my show um, is to just get as many different ideas in business and real estate and commodities, paper assets. We covered crypto and blockchain since 2016 because I thought it was was pretty exciting then. Now it's like out of control. Um, but Actually, this ties into one of the reasons why I wrote my latest book, because most people would say, MC, you've interviewed like the best minds in business and investing and all these different opinions on your show, which was very funny in the beginning because we're so used to echo chambers. You know, I didn't want an echo chamber. So I would have someone on, for example, that hates Bitcoin. And then I was someone on that loves it. And that's the only thing. And people are like, I don't understand. Like, I'm like, yeah, you have to hear both sides of the argument. And then to make a decision. But um, yeah, I wrote the, the 21 best cash flow niches, the book where I share, you know, the, the, the top 21 that's been shared on my show. And I threw in five bonus ones there. But, you know, as a marketer, 26 doesn't sit as well as 21, <laughs> right? It's yeah. funny how psychology works. Seven's yeah. good, 10, uh, 20, 21. And then you got to go to 50, I guess, or 100 after that, right? Um, but anyway, 21 is what I used for the, the, the name of the book. Um, yeah, the, I mean, there's incredible niches that I don't think people think about. When you invest too, you know, and th this is just what I've done. And I just share what I do. I eat my own cooking without throwing up. Um, but uh, what I initially did when I built the cash flow portfolio is I was very clear on what I was trying to accomplish with each investment. So what do I mean by that? So some investments you're going to buy that's going to be tax favorable, right? A little bit light on the cash flow, maybe uh, good on appreciation or a little bit light there, but really good on taxes. Then there's certain investments that's very strong on cash flow, okay on the taxes and, and good on appreciation. And then there's some that's purely on appreciation, okay on taxes uh, and, and okay on cash flow, but it's really driven by the appreciation. And then there's some that that's really good on all three, knocks out a ton of taxes, 
great cash flow and appreciation. Like real estate is one of those assets that, that does that. So you have to be very clear when you build out a portfolio. And I would advise just this is what I'm doing in the time that we're living in today, that you have diversified income streams within a cash flow portfolio, because we're living, I mean, again, during times of great change, there's going to be disruption, there's going to be chaos. You don't want to be in one, you don't want to put all of your eggs just in one basket. And that's, you know, that's the horse that's going to win you the Kentucky Derby. You got to have a stable of horses and, and, and have many access to many different uh, income streams. So what are some of the, um, what are some of the coolest uh, ones that I've seen? There are some, some, you know, if you're looking for taxes, there's some great plays in energy, great plays. Um, and a disclaimer, not a tax accountant or a CPA, but when you invest, you know, oil and gas, different energy projects. Um, there's a very, very, very good tax incentives from it, strong cash flow uh, and, and so forth. So that's a great tax strategy, by the way, to offset active income, not just only passive income. If you do it properly and you're investing in it, and by the way, um, in case anybody hasn't checked energy prices, it's just skyrocket. Try and put gas in wherever you are right now um, so energy prices has a great appreciation with inflation, uh, great cash flow, and great taxes. But you know the tax play is really good with that one. Um, then of course, I mean different types of real estate. But one thing that I would share that was very interesting when I was writing this book is kind of reflecting on the years of, and I've done this for six years and all the people that I've interviewed. But one thing was very interesting. So agricultural, the the, the market is 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 big. There's many different things in agriculture. And that's where a lot of folks obviously invest farmland, you know, livestock, produce, that kind of stuff. What I found just fascinating was the portfolio allocations of some of the wealthiest people on this planet in timber, more specifically teak. And I'm like, wait a second, because I've I've some friends that work in family offices too. So when I came across this, I reached out to them, and I'm like, I see, like, is there a lot of like the some of the the families that are working with you invested in this asset class? And they're like, oh yeah, it's in all of our portfolios. And I'm like, that is fascinating. So teak, uh, which is in the timber category, is is there? And then I started looking into this, and it's like institutional companies are buying this, uh, hedge funds family offices, investors like Ted Turner is one of the largest teak, you know, investors. And I looked into this and I'm like, why? And then of course, you, you reach the conclusion that what, well, what happens in agriculture, trees grow, they grew five years ago, they're going to grow five years from now, they're going to grow 20 to 25 years from now, they're just going to do what, what they do with, if they're in the right climate, in the right country, and so forth. So it provides stability to a portfolio. So it's a long-term play. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. Anybody that's in agriculture that has ever invested in that space knows that this is not a Bitcoin where you buy something and the, the next day it doubles. It's, I mean, the, it's literally, you have to hand it over to God. It's nature. <laughs> it's going to take time <laughs> to grow uh, before you harvest. And when you harvest, obviously, you're going to generate some cash flow from it. But I thought that was fascinating 
that how they build their portfolio, they have to have things in there that stabilize it. You know, obviously it's very big on real estate. There's a lot of energy plays on there. There's a lot of that in there. Um, another great uh, asset class that can stabilize the portfolio, which I'm personally an investor in too, is, is life settlements. And a lot of folks that say, what is, what is life settlement? So you can actually sell life insurance contracts just like you would sell real estate notes. So why would somebody sell uh, uh, a life insurance contract? Well, there are some folks that, like most Americans, have all their wealth in their homes and in a 401k. And that's it. No diversification. So what happened in 2008, 2009? Well, they were, they were in retirement already and maybe lost the majority of their equ the equity or the value of their house. They got clobbered in their, in, in their stock portfolio and their retirement accounts, and now they're out of money, basically. So what do, you, what do you do? And now because of the stress, there's an illness too. So you can sell and you realize, oh, I have a life insurance policy that I could sell to an investor. Um, and then obviously the investor can, and this is being underwritten, of course, on age and so forth. Um, but they have a life insurance policy that they can sell and live out the remainder of their life comfortably. Um, so there's a win-win on both sides of it. I'll give an example. Um, let's just say you have a you have a uh, let's just say you have a million dollar death benefit in a life insurance policy, and you have like fifty thousand dollars in cash value, and you're you're in a you're in a in a very bad situation like these folks are that I just told you. Well, you could go to a life settlement company at that stage. Um, if you qualify, not all of them, of course, qualify. It has to be under underwritten to, to make sense for an investor to buy that. Um, but you, let's just say you could get four to five times the amount that you have. So even if you're getting $200,000, $250,000 in cash, the investor would then pay for that. And then now they, they own the life insurance policy. So eventually, when when the, the, the seller then passes away, then obviously the proceeds gets paid out to the investor. So they got money to live out the remainder of their life comfortably. The other folks then obviously got a return on the investment that they, that they made. And there's pools of this, there's funds. It's a security, okay? So there's a lot of undesirable, just disclaim, disclaimer, and I, I was warned about all this stuff, is there's undesirable characters in every, in, in every industry. And as you can imagine, there's probably a lot in that space. Just be aware that if it's in a fund, which is the, 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 the best way to do it, because you can diversify over a large uh, a number of policies and utilize the, the law of large numbers like insurance companies, it is a security. So there's security laws that apply to all of those things. And it's a it's, it's essentially for accredited investors to have access to this. Institutions, they just buy tons of policies on their own. Life insurance companies buy policies from other, uh, uh, um, they buy uh, uh, policies from other insurers to have on their books as a hedge. Uh, folks like Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, shocker, he's a big investor in that kind of stuff too. Um, but yeah, it's a very interesting asset class. And again, with the teak, what does it provide? Well, it provides stability because you're essentially buying, you're buying your equity up front. So the only factor is time, which will impact your return, obviously, right? So you could get a very nice return on that, which you kind of know when you buy it, what sort of the, the equity that you have in that policy. Um, and then with Teak, I mean, it stabilizes a portfolio. So between the two of those, 
great plays. Live settlements, not as much cash flow heavy, but great upside potential appreciation. Um, so that was the main driver of that, but it stabilizes portfolios. So there's some interesting stuff that I've seen, but those are, you know, I, I figured I wanted to share some of the stuff that can stabilize a portfolio too, especially during times of, of, of craziness where it's not just speculative yeah. kind of uh, plays. Yeah, that's fascinating, man. There's so many different things that you've invested in and that there are just to invest in in general and people just don't know about it, right? They get stuck in that, that 401k stocks and bonds bubble and they think that that's just the only way to invest. And, and that's why sometimes I'll say, just get into a passive real estate deal, right? Not just because that's the only way to invest, but once you do it once, you kind of surround yourself with those types of people that are looking at alternative investments. And then you start, your mind just kind of opens up to all these different things in, in agriculture, in energy, in uh, you know, all those things that you just mentioned that are out there to invest in. And you just start seeing all these opportunities just around you. And then you can kind of start diversifying away from that. Yeah, you know what? Another one is, and I cover this in the book too, which would be interesting for your folks at the time that we live in. You know, we had the whole Joe Rogan thing, the Joe Rogan experience controversy. And we had these folks that wanted to pull their music off Spotify. So some folks, if they if they actually read the story, might have grasped how that side of the business works. But essentially, um, you can invest in music royalties. And that's another niche on the book, which someone shared on my show uh, a couple of years ago, which I found was fascinating. Now, a musician can sell a portion or all of the royalties on their music to an investor. And that's essentially what happened to a lot of those folks that wanted to, to leave Spotify. They don't even own their, their, their royalties or all of it, maybe a small portion or a part of it, but corporations do. They own their music royalties. So every single time a song gets played somewhere or is used in a movie or something, royalties are paid on that and the investor collects cash flow. Now, do we listen to music when markets crash? Yeah. Do we listen to music when markets boom? Yeah. We always listen to music, you know, whether it's good or bad times. So it's another, it's another interesting aspect of, of that. Now, why would a musician sell their royalties? You know, and this is fascinating. Um, that side of the business and my brother, my brother is a musician too. So I learned a little bit of that, that side of it and had an insight of that. But why would they sell a portion or all of it. So maybe they need to fund the next album and they don't have a record label backing that. And maybe they just want to do it themselves or, you know, for, for them to raise money for their next project would be, would be one example of that. So, um, and of course, if there's partial ownership of royalties, it's actually the best way to do that because otherwise the musician doesn't have incentives to keep promoting those songs right yeah, so yeah. you almost want to go like 50 50 with someone to make sure like they've got skin in the game to still promote their the albums and the songs and play them at concerts and all that kind of stuff otherwise they're not really going to care because they don't own the rights or the the royalties to the that music anymore so it's fascinating there's a there's a whole exchange like as you can invest like an investor uh, but there's so many ways to do it. You know, there's so many ways. I see, right. to your point, I see people argue all the time. This one's better. This one's better. This one. I'm like, you can make, it's incredible to see the ways that people can make money and become yeah. successful. It's, uh, there's so many ways to do it. Yeah. Are there any, I, I know you went through quite a few there and I don't want to give the entire book away, but are there 
is there another like really surprising one that kind of stands out in that book where somebody's going to read and they're like, what? That's crazy. Yeah, I am. I throw in there a different angle on crypto. So I share a strategy in there. Um, I share a, a crypto strategy and then I, sh I share an angle of, of how to look at it as an investor. Because mo most people think cryptocurrency and blockchain and they go, oh, I just buy a Bitcoin and it goes up 20 fold and now I'm a millionaire, you know, <laughs> or, yeah. or a doggy coin, um, you know, and I'll, I'll be fine. But there's actually that that's very speculative, obviously, and you're a speculator. What the folks, the 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 absolute cash flow ninjas have done um, is they have approached this as investors in the space. So they have followed what I call the California gold rush strategy. So they looked at this and said, wow, all right, there's gold found in, in, in California and in San Francisco in that area. Um, instead of going to mine or dig or pan for gold, I'm going to be the person selling the shovels, the picks, the equipment. I'm going to be the person selling the, the clothes like Levi Strauss. Uh, I'm going to be the person there that has uh, provides housing, you know, hotels, bars, restaurants, entertainment, brothels, whatever floats your boat. Um, and I'm going to be the person that offers financial services like Wells Fargo. So you take a different strategic approach of investing. So you actually go in as an investor and say, like in the crypto and blockchain space, I'll give you some examples. The folks that have absolutely made a fortune in this space. Yeah, they had some Bitcoin. Yeah, they were early investors in Bitcoin and Ethereum. But guess what? They were early investors in exchanges. You know, I actually was in the mastermind group of one of the first investors in Coinbase, which is now they went public. Uh, I think he did pretty well. You know, the same the same with Kraken. He's also one of the earliest investors in Kraken. So he's on exchange. So the same with music. Do you think a lot of people trade crypto when the markets are going up? Absolutely. A lot of people are chasing the pump, right? Do you think uh, there's a lot of activity on an exchange when crypto wets the bed and, you know, <laughs> corrects? Absolutely. There's a panic panic selling going on. So markets go up, down and sideways. They make money regardless. So that's one way of doing it. But think of other things, right? Um, you know, in the cannabis space, everything was like, if you're a lawyer, you, I mean, you would never run out of work. Uh, if you are a tax accountant, you would never run out of work in that space. The same, the same with crypto. So there's so many legal things happening there. There's, and think about estate planning. You have coins. How do you plan on transferring that to your, to your children or your grandchildren? How does that work? Nobody's figured that out. There's companies that have been started in that space to address that problem. And you could be an investor in that company. How about taxes? You think they're coming off the taxes in crypto? You think if you're investing in a, a very, very good tax firm globally or locally and so forth that specializes in crypto, you're going to lose money? I, they're going to be busier than ever. So it's a different kind of angle that you're coming in as an investor in the space. Less sexy. I prefer it that way. Cash flow, taxes, you're a business owner, that kind of stuff. Um, but it's not the, you know, the Elon Musk doggy coin kind of style that uh, that you're investing in the space. It's it's a it's a little bit more strategic. Right. Yeah, I love that, man. And you can use that, you know, that strategy across different industries. Like you said, 
Um, you know, you're, you're selling, you're selling the picks and the, and the pans for the gold rushers. You're, you're selling the tools rather than actually going and, and trying to find the gold. And those are the people that actually got rich during the gold rush, right? People that sold the tools. So just think about, you know, any hot industry that way, like, what can I do? That's kind of that ancillary angle rather than the direct angle. And, and that could be the, 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 the better investment. Yeah. It's almost like, uh, I interviewed Jim Rogers a couple of times on my show and he's very comical, legendary investor. Um, and he always said to me, you know, when I asked him about how, how he like some of the big hits that he had and some of his best investments, he's, he said, MC, it's quite simple. All I do is I sit and I just wait until people, the money is just lying on the floor. And then I go and pick up the money. That's all I do. So, and then I asked him about, all right, what is that? What is, how does that relate to it? And it's like, when you see something that's a no brainer that everybody else is seeing, I mean, like, for example, the legal side and the taxes and crypto kind of a no brainer. Not a lot of people are thinking about it. It was the same way in cannabis too, where everybody wanted to invest in a, in a farm or a farmer or a dispensary or a distribution and all this stuff. And, and deal with all of the headaches of the federal government and the local government, you could have been the lawyer starting a legal firm, dealing with those headaches for them. You would never run out of work and you could probably charge much, much more. And it's the same thing with the texting. So that, in my, in my opinion, uh, was it's just that's money lying on the floor waiting to be picked up as an investor. Yeah, perfect, man. You nailed it. Uh, one last golden nugget before we jump into the Freedom Four. Absolutely. Yeah. So I would say the big thing is you have to be very, very specific, obviously, why you're doing what you're doing, what you have and why you have it and what it's doing for you from a strategy. Uh, and then that's how you build your cash flow portfolio. But don't forget about the other stuff in your economy. There's a way to make your money as efficiently as possible. There's a way to position it. Um, and then there's a way to invest in this portfolio. And then there's a way to protect all of this with proper asset protection, with proper estate planning and with proper, proper tax strategy. So most folks don't even think about the estate planning, the asset protection and the tax strategy. You're going to wish you have in five years. Um, <laughs> this will be a soundbite that, that you can keep. You're going to wish you have thought about these things and not just on the shiny uh, stuff. Um, I know because I've made all of those mistakes. And I became a much better uh, business owner investor when I started to put it all together um, and just didn't chase shiny stuff or had tunnel vision. Yeah. Awesome, man. All right, let's jump into the Freedom Four. We're going to mix it up a little bit because you've already been on the show once. It's time for the Freedom Four. Um, so what does your morning routine look like? You know, um, it varies since I have two very young kids, but there's one, <laughs> but there's two things that are consistent. So I make sure that I, I go for a walk 45 minutes to an hour and I do spend an hour thinking, uh, it's a, it's a habit that, that I've developed over time. Um, and that I learned from, from Keith Cunningham. Uh, I, so he just calls it thinking time. Um, we don't think because it's the hardest thing to do as Henry Ford would always say. So I make sure that I block everything off, no computers, no smartphones, nothing, just me and a pad. And I write down, I have certain frameworks I use to analyze things. 
and help me think through things, looking at the dangers that are out there, the opportunities and how I can capitalize on, on a lot of the stuff. But um, that's, I mean, that's def, that, that's in my morning. The other stuff, it varies because they got two young ones, but those two things are uh, consistent. So clear my, clear my mind with a walk, uh, get some exercise in, uh, and then um, think, thinking for an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we, we have these ideal morning routines put together, but it, you know, especially when you have kids and you have all these different variables, that's not always possible, but you know, there are a couple of things that you definitely need to carve out. Just make sure you do every single day. Yep. All right. With all your success, what is one limiting belief that you've crushed along the way and how did you get past it? I do it every day. Um, and limiting beliefs in the sense of, you know, people talk about the mindset of abundance, you know, um, and having an abundant mindset, you know, and I make, I intentionally move every single day when I get up, there's some certain elements of scarcity and I transform that into abundance and I do it intentionally. It's actually part of thinking time. You know, I, I've, there, I've listened to all the gurus. I, I get all, all of that, but I don't wake up in the morning and go, yeah, this is going to be great. Every, every person wakes up. It, this is just how we are built. If we, if we weren't built this way, we wouldn't have survived. So we, we get up and we scan our environment and we start kind of not in a fearful, fear isn't the right word, but it's kind of like fight or flight situation. Like I said, if you're not built that, if you weren't built that way, you wouldn't be alive right now. We wouldn't be as a species because otherwise we would have probably, the saber-toothed tiger would have probably gotten us. Uh, so we, we were built that way. So I do it intentionally to transform from the, whatever elements it is of scarcity into abundance. And by doing that, I'm doing that every single day intentionally. It changes your whole day. So then you don't have any, you don't, you don't have any bad days. So I don't get up drumming my chest, saying everything is perfect and rosy and rainbows and unicorns. I understand that there are certain things that I've got to work out, kinks, uh, and I have frameworks to do that. And I just make sure that I do it every single day. Uh, so overcoming limit, limiting beliefs, um, you know, we all have some of, uh, some of them. Uh, I think like the, I mean, the biggest one, you know, there, there are some things like, um, you know, the biggest one that I've overcame lately, and this is probably over the last th three years is, um, you know, the, Dan Sullivan, which is one of my coaches, a strategic coach said, you need to work less and make more money. And I'm like, uh, I don't know how, to, how, how do I, you know, what's the, what's the catch here? Yeah. So that was a limiting belief. And then I'm like, wait a second, does he have a superpower that I don't have? But then I started to realize that you could structure your day and then have proper systems and processes in place. And that I, I work four days a week. Now, when I started as an entrepreneur, it was seven days, seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours. Now I work four days a week. Um, and it's probably seven to eight hours at, at most because I have those systems and processes in place. And it was, I mean, yeah, talk about a limiting belief right there. It was something that I had to, <laughs> had to work out and, and figure out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's counterintuitive, right? It's like, wait, work less and make more. That's not how that works. That's not how I was taught growing up. That's not how it works. It's everything, everything against what you were, have been taught in school. Right. Yeah. So it's almost like you have to break down core foundational beliefs and a mindset. You have to double down on that. It's, it's like when Robert Kiyosaki said he makes more money every year and pays less in taxes. When you first hear that, 
and you read the book, you're like, well, I, how does that, <laughs> how does that work? Yeah. Um, so look, again, beliefs that have to change and then your mindset, and then you learn the, the game of money and you're like, yeah, that is, that's what they do. The, the, this is what the cash flow ninjas do. They make more money every year. They pay less in taxes. They actually get money back from the government um, legally um, and they work less and they, and they make more money. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had Tom Wheelwright on the show um, last month and he said the same thing. That, that was the, his big quote was, you know, the wealthier you get, the less taxes you pay. And it's like, what? Yeah, but it's 100% true, 100% true. Um, what do you believe separates successful people like yourself who have taken action and you know, taken control of their life and their own economy from those who you know, get stuck in the nine to five, never take action and, and you know, maybe never get started uh, with you know, cash flow? I own, my out, uh, I own all of my outcomes. And I think that's the biggest difference between a lot of folks and people that achieve certain levels of success. I don't blame anyone. Everything that happens is because of me. So even if, even if so, there is something nefarious done to you, I shouldn't have put myself in that position and I, shouldn't have, I should have seen it coming. So it's my responsibility, not anybody else's. So I take responsibility for everything that I've done in my past, my present, my future. I own everything. So I was stuck for a while in a deep, dark place. We're talking now like 10, 12 years ago. And um, I wasn't going anywhere at that stage. And that was the one switch that I made. And uh, I've never looked back since, you know. So I own everything. <laughs> oh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> yeah, I love that more than you know, man. Accountability is, is my number one principle in, in yep. everything, in business, in life. Even again, if you if you know inside that maybe it was somebody else's fault, it still doesn't matter. You say, well, what could I have done to change it and, and to make it better? What could I have done differently? Take accountability for it. Don't blame other people. Yeah, the, there's, a, there's a person that I follow that, uh, that I was very honored to meet in person, Tim Grover. And he's the guy behind Michael Jordan. I mean, he's Michael Jordan's coach, Kobe's coach you know, uh, Dwayne uh, Wade. Um, and he was actually, it's funny that uh, I just saw that he actually worked with the, the Rams uh, over the past month too, uh, during that. And he's just, I mean, quite incredible because he literally gets you into, this is, this is how a champion thinks. This is what's going in their mind. This is how they're wired. And those folks, I mean, it's just so, it's just so interesting to see even if folks don't win, listen to what Tom Brady said, by the way, in his playoff loss before he retired, where they're like, oh, you know, you didn't get the ball back and you didn't have another shot. You know, <laughs> basically, you, you, were, you thought you were going into to overtime, but then that final play that the Rams got you, and he's like, I shouldn't, we, we shouldn't have been in that situation. I shouldn't have put my team in that situation in the first place. So, that's how they think. That's how those fo folks think. And I know it's sports, but there's so much between sports, obviously, and, uh, and business and investing. So you look at the mind of a champion in any industry, in any part of, uh, part of life. And that's how those fo folks think, whether it's, a, uh, whether it's sports, a business, a marriage, investments, you know, they own it. They own their outcomes. Yeah, for sure. I'm listening to uh, Winning right now, his, his book on Audible. So it's yep. great so far. All right. Last but not least, 
what does financial freedom mean to you? You know, freedom is, uh, is, uh, is it's, it's, we're living during interesting times. <laughs> it's funny how freedom is, is being spun. Um, you know, I'm one of those folks that no, nobody grants you freedom. No one. Um, you, just, you just take it. You're, you're born free and you take it. You know, you can't, <laughs> you can't negotiate it. You can't vote for it. You can't beg for it. You can't plead for it. Um, you just take it. Um, and you do that by taking action. So financial freedom and the same thing is no one, no one's going to give it to you. Um, and you're just going to have to go go out and take it. And, and in the sense is what freedom means to me is having freedom of time, how I spend my time, what I do, having freedom of money. Uh, I do things and I spend my time, how money no longer becomes a reason why and why I'm not doing something. Um, relationships, having freedom of relationships. So doing cool things with people that I like to do things with and hanging out with people that I want to hang out with. So I don't have to hang out with someone just to hang out with someone. That's, that's what freedom means. And then obviously purpose, you know, um, purpose is, uh, is uh, yeah, the freedom to pursue what you want to pursue, the stuff that you want to work on, the stuff that you're passionate about. Uh, so you don't do things just to do things. And uh, you have to get there, by the way. You know, if you, if you if you see all the things that I've had to do to get to the part where I just do stuff that I want to do, uh, it's been a long road. Uh, it didn't start with that. Uh, but that should be the goal in the end. So we all have to do things that we don't like to do in some way or shape or form. But essentially, when you get to financial freedom, you could just focus on the things that you want to do, that you're passionate about, um, whatever they are. If it's doing cool things with cool people in cool places, if it's spending time supporting your charities and, 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 and your church and so forth, um, and, and being actively involved with that. Um, there's folks that I know that are very wealthy uh, that, I mean, they just, and a lot of them, by the way, right now, they just, they're just buying ranches <laughs> and farms <laughs> and just living off the land in the middle of nowhere, you know, um, in different states. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and that's that. That's it. That's it. That's what they. That's what they want to do right now. Get away from all the craziness. They kind of see that things are going to get wilder and crazier in the in the coming months and the next couple of years. And they're like, eh, I don't want to participate in this, so I'm just going to buy a piece of land in the middle of nowhere and come back when this when the dust settles. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's 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 what that's what it means to me. It's it's something that I talk about a lot too that I'm pretty passionate about. Um, because we are in a fight for it now too, um, you know, all over the world in many, many, many different ways. So my own little way, I try to, you know, help as many people as I can to, to get the, the financial part right. Uh, because you, if you are financially independent and free, um, you know, you're not going to be forced into a corner or have your back to the wall and be forced to make decisions that are against your principles, your values, and what you believe in. You're going to tell people to go pound sand. So I want as many people to be in that position as possible. Oh man, that was an awesome answer, dude. Uh, let's wrap it up, man. It's been awesome having you on the show. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Where can they get that new book? Uh, 21 best cash flow niches. Tell us all about it. So cashflowninja.com is, is everything Cashflow Ninja. And the book is called The 21 Best Cashflow Niches, Creating Wealth and the Best Alternative Cashflow Investments. It's available on Amazon or cashflowninja.com. 
And when your listeners purchase a copy of the book, just screenshot a proof of your purchase to my team at info at cashflowninja.com and I'll throw in some bonus goodies. I'll give you a digital version of the book if you want to read it on Kindle, uh, a audio version of the book if you just want to listen to it, driving in your car, working out or hanging out. Um, I've actually curated a library of interviews specifically where people talk about these niches. Uh, you'll get access to that and, and more bonus goodies. So it's available on amazon.com, uh, but also at cashflowninja.com, you'll be able to buy the book. The 21 Best Cash Flow Niches, Creating Wealth in the Best Alternative uh, Cash Flow Investments. Awesome, brother. Well, congratulations on the book launch. And it's been awesome having you on the show again. MC, let's catch up soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. All right, kiddos. MC Lobster, the Cash Flow Ninja, dropping bombs. As always, he always comes up with all these new ideas, all these new ways to create cash flow and income outside of the box. We're not just talking about real estate. We're not just talking about stocks, bonds, or mutual funds. We're talking about agriculture, life insurance contracts, all these different ways that you can create income for yourself. There's more than one way to create income that does not involve just lawyering, just doctoring, just engineering, just doing your, just creating your uh, active daily, trading your time for money income. So, at the end of the day, look, this is the major key. The major key is to get started. Again, I always say start out with a real estate syndication on the passive side because that will open your eyes to opportunities. That's what it did for me. When I started investing in commercial real estate to begin with, it was through a passive investment. And then I invested more. And then I invested more. And then my network expanded into people like MC, who exposed my mind to ideas about other types of ways to get started in multiple streams of income. Then I bought into franchises. Then I bought into crypto. Then I bought into all these different things. But until you get started and you get this cash flow train moving, you're going to be stuck. You're going to be stuck at your day job. Um, create with one stream of income, putting yourself and your family's financial future at risk. So I encourage you to just get started. So if you're ready to take action and partner with us on one of our next passive real estate deals, go to passiveincomeattorney.com, join our Esquire Passive Investor Club and get started today. All right, kids, until next time, enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community by searching for the Passive Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.